and hello. Welcome to Simon Says. Let's talk business. I'm your host, Al Simon, with Sandler Training by Simon Inc. And I'm excited today. I've got three terrific guests, good friends, and uh, very diverse uh, backgrounds and and uh, current businesses. So we've got Scott Deaton with Data Forensics, an engineer, Georgia Tech guy. Yeah, it's football season. Go yeah. Jackets. Go Jackets. There we go. And I've got Nancy McGill with Cartridge World of Lawrenceville. Welcome, Nancy. And Andy Morgan with the Morgan Law Group. So it's going to be exciting. going to be fun. And uh, we're going to talk business. So, Scott, it is football season. And we are Georgia Tech guys. It is. I don't know about you, but I, I always dread football season when you're a Tech fan. Yeah, at times. Yeah. At times, you know. Yeah. There's so many Georgia Bulldog fans out here that uh, makes it a little rough on us. They they just don't know. They just don't know. <laughs> but they expect to win. We don't expect to win. So when exactly. we do win, it's yeah, good. It's yeah. Like, yeah, there we go. So uh, Data Forensics. And by the way, Scott and Data Forensics are a client of mine. So um, love working with y'all. It's great. You and Kevin, fun fun guys. And uh, and you've been doing really well lately, I understand. Yeah. Right? yes. Okay, so... And, all right, so let me get this straight. You, um, you're a software company. You streamline and improve data collection and data management for geotechnical and geo-environmental engineers, geologists, and hydrogeologists. You got it. Yes. I can read it, well. It's, it's, a, it's quite a party. Is it? When, uh, when you get those groups together. Okay. So we're talking about really uh, managing data, less human interaction, getting it right. Right. So tell us a little bit about, uh, tell us about what, first of all, what does your software actually do? Who uses it? Sure. So, so those people, the engineers, the geologists, uh, the hydrogeologists, basically they're people who are out investigating what's going on on site, looking at subsurface conditions of soil, rock, and groundwater. They generate tremendous amounts of, of information today, and it's all paper-based. And so we, when we work with prospects and clients, we routinely hear things like, we have hardworking field and clerical staff, but we're not able to get our reports turned around quickly enough. And that's very concerning because we can't then win a lot of projects that require a short turnaround time. We also hear things like, um, we have a good group of people, but humans are prone to making mistakes. And so that causes us unnecessary additional review time back in the office, which is very frustrating. It obviously eats into profitability of projects, and we really want to avoid that kind of situation. And then lastly, we hear things like, we have lots of work, but we're overwhelmed by our data, and we have people who want to do things differently in the field, and one guy does it one way, and somebody else does it a different way, and then when we try and compile all that, it's just a nightmare. And so we spend hours and hours and hours trying to make sense of what should be a really simple process. Okay. So, so you're collecting, so you're, so that these geologists, geophysicists, they have what laptops, uh, tablets in the field. They're, if they're doing the traditional way, it's paper. If they're using our software, they're using tablets out in the field. Okay. They can collect the data on the tablet, push it to the cloud, which then goes back into their office. Okay. Reports are generated. Exactly. Good From data. there, it's, there's all kinds of things you can do it. We, we kind of yeah. have two, um, golden rules of, of data entry. Yeah. The first rule we've been using for about 15 years, and that's you should only input data once. The second rule, I can't actually take credit for. One of our partners in the UK, Kinetics, actually came up with this one, and it's get someone else to do it. 
fundamentally, they're actually the same thing. Isn't that delegating? Or just, or well, like, it's really actually the same thing because okay. if you input data once and your software is all communicating together, yeah. nobody ever has to re-input the same data again. Okay. In the traditional process, what happens is, let's say you're in the office, you're planning that investigation. Right. So you, you start off and you're going to a CAD drawing and you're going to locate, hey, we, we know we're building a building here. Okay. So we have a building footprint on our site plan and we're going to lay out where do we want our borehole locations. So you type in borehole B-1 and B-2 and you locate it on the map. Okay. You may generate a KML file that's like a Google Earth file that you okay. can send to a guy's phone so they can know where to go. You may also pull that up in Google Earth so you can actually see is there something that's going to prevent us from drilling a hole in this location like there's actually a building already there. <laughs> that might make a difference. Might, but might be a problem. <laughs> yeah. Or, you know, there's underground utilities or whatever it happens to be that you don't want to drill through. So that's step one. Now, you've just input that borehole information, the location information once. Well, if you go out to the field and you're recording that data on paper, you're going to input that same data again. And if you're taking samples out of the ground, you're going to have to label the samples. So you're now re-inputting the project ID, the borehole ID, the sample ID, the sample depth. So not only does it take time, it also could be errors it, in... You got uh, it. All right. Error-prone. Okay. Humans always make mistakes, unfortunately. Okay. So the less human interaction we can have with repeating that data entry and basically transfer through, you know, we're only at three steps in. We routinely see clients are inputting the same data 10 to 12 times. Okay. If it's all paper-based. So hence your claim that, that you you get your clients to tell you all the time that they see an ROI almost immediately. Exactly. Yes. It's not uncommon for, for deployments, whether it's a really small deployment with just one user or a really large deployment with tens or hundreds of users that they're seeing ROI within weeks to months. Yeah. As a guy that used to sell software, that to me at first was that a big hairy claim, you know, like, okay, that's a salesperson making right. a big hairy claim, but this is really true. Right. In your case. Yeah. Yeah. And, and we've, we've done, um, when we're going through the sales process with our clients or our prospects at that point, we're looking at what are they doing and how are they doing it yeah. and what's efficient and what's inefficient. So we can then help them come up with metrics where, you know, today your process is costing you X dollars per foot of drilling that you're doing. And if you look at, okay, you see the software and you see how you can eliminate all these re-entry of data and literally, instead of doing that, you're clicking a button and generating a report. You can come up with some pretty astounding ROI claims where we've seen clients who have done these ROI analyses in-house. Yeah. And their ROI over a period of three years is in the hundreds of percent. My goodness. That's pretty amazing. So, but you have competition, right? There are other companies that do data collection, data management. So, what differentiates uh, data forensics from your competitors? Sure. So many of our competitors have had software that's been around for 25 or 30 years. And really that software was developed with the purpose of, hey, we need to get a report out the door. And so it was a very reporting-centric approach, whereas, as our company name is, we are more data-centric. And if we have the data, we can report that data however you need it. And if you're on the report-centric approach, that really lends itself to the you have to re-input that data multiple times because you didn't think about how the data is actually structured and should be stored in a database. Makes sense. So with a data-centric model, you can input your data once and use it in GIS, in a geographic information system, in a CAD program. Thanks for uh, explaining that Explaining one. what GIS is, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
uh, basically a map with a database behind it. Okay. Um, uh, CAD, your, your AutoCAD systems for doing drawings. That's Excel. Com- CAD is com- computer-aided design, computer-aided right? Computer-aided design, okay. right? Um, BIM, which is also part of CAD, so building information models, are basically 3D models of the subsurface and your buildings. Yeah. Um, there's actually an article in Civil Engineering Magazine that just came out today. I uh, just got it really? before I walked in um, that we're talking about using building information modeling uh, with one of our clients uh, who was uh, involved in a tunneling project under the, the River Thames in the United Kingdom. Oh, wow. And there's all kinds of conflict detection where you're looking at all these buildings and tunnels and bridges and cable car towers and you name it. They probably have the infrastructure on this site. And by using building information modeling combined with all the data that's collected in our software, it really allows them to do way more with the data than they could do today because it would be all manual today. Okay, now now that's where I can start to understand is when you have real life examples like that. So what other deployments have you done that we might be interested in? Um, Our deployments, it's been a great year. We have um, deployments that are very small for just, you know, one or two users. And those groups uh, might be doing, you know, five boreholes on a project and 20 different lab tests, all the way up through some really huge deployments, a multi-billion dollar project that's going on up in Washington, D.C. right now, the I-66 hot lanes, I believe, express lanes, uh-huh. um, two and a half billion dollar project. I mean, massive. We've, uh, we've got two clients working on that who have about uh, 12 or 13 people logging boreholes simultaneously, uh, working around the clock generating data, huge amounts of data. And then on the order of tens of thousands of laboratory tests will be done on all the different samples they're pulling out of the ground to test the soil and rock. My goodness. It's a whole lot more than just paving the road, huh? It <laughs> is a lot more than paving the road, yes. How about that? You've had this company for how long? We founded Data Forensics uh, almost 16 years ago. Okay. And that was right out of school, right? You started yes. doing that? Yes. All right. Yeah, once I finished up at Tech... Basically got out once you got, got out. out. Yeah, yeah, once I finally got out, yes. I was there for a while. Yeah, th- those of you who are not Georgia Tech people, th- th- that's Georgia Tech speak for graduating when you get out of Georgia Tech, at least the way we say it. So, yeah. So, you've never worked for anybody else but yourself. Well, when I was in grad school and doing my undergrad, I did work for civil engineering consultants. Oh, did you? And so, I was actually doing this type of work, and that's really when I realized the opportunities because I was spending hours and hours trying to compile data yeah. into AutoCAD at that point. And it was an absolute nightmare. Mm. It was like, there has to be a better way of doing this. Mm. And as an engineer, an engineer has an idea and then it becomes a plan. Exactly. All right. And then a business. That's great. So tell us about your firm today. Well, how's it made up of today? So um, today we have, uh, we have a dedicated sales staff that is really doing very well and they work they worked very well with our implementation team and our developers to make sure that as they're selling the software to clients or talking to, to prospects about it, that we have software that's actually going to accomplish the needs of what that individual prospect is, is telling us their problems are. So a true Sandler discovery process. It is, yeah. yes. Yeah, we're, we're talking to them about you know, what's working, what's not working, how much time it's taking, uh, what, are, what are their, their frustration points with with their current process, what would they like to be able to do if, you know, if they could wave a magic wand, their perfect ideal scenario. Um, And it was funny, I was talking to a client, uh, I guess about two weeks ago, and I asked them, you know, if you could wave a magic wand, what would your perfect situation be? They actually described our software. 
Oh, yeah? It was pretty crazy. How about that? Did you tell them you were actually <laughs> describing your software? Once they finished with it, I mean, I listened for several minutes as to what they wanted to do. And I said, well, you know, literally everything you've just described, it's a different module that we have in the, in the software suite. How about that? So, yeah, this is uh, Simon Says, Let's Talk Business. And we've got our, our guest today, Andy Morgan with the Morgan Law Group, Nancy McGill with Cartridge World of Lawrenceville, and Scott Deaton with Data Forensics. And we've been talking to Scott about his firm and his software. And Scott, uh, you, uh, your firm has done extremely well over the, over the years, but especially lately, right? right? Can you tell us about that? There's probably several reasons why things have really picked up over the last three to five years. The first I would say is technology. When I was doing my PhD at Georgia Tech, we were fundamentally doing the same thing we're doing today, but it was with three different devices. We had a digital camera, we had a handheld GPS, and we had a Palm Pilot. For those of you who remember Palm Pilot. I remember Pilots. a Palm Pilot, yes. <laughs> Paperweight today. Exactly. <laughs> I, I have a whole archive of those in a closet that if you need some spare paperweights, I can, I can lend you a few. Excellent. So today, uh, actually, Panasonic did a case study with us in 2013 because I said something to our Panasonic rep, you know, this is the technology we've been waiting for for 15 years, that it's rugged, it's got good battery life, you can see the screen outdoors in bright sunlight, it, it can be wet and dirty, it's got cameras built in, it's got GPS built in, so we can, we can document what it is we're assessing the condition of or the tests that we're doing. We can photograph it and we can geolocate it or find it on Earth. So everything you need right there? Everything you need all in one device. And it can handle the conditions. And it can handle conditions. And that was really yeah. the turning point was there had been rugged Palm Pilots for years, but it wasn't until really the smartphone revolution or the iPhone revolution and then people who started manufacturing the rugged tablets that that really opened up our industry. So that, I would say that would be the first one and actually probably the second reason is the iPhone smartphone revolution. Okay. When we talked to clients 15 years ago, and they would have certain people who would absolutely love the software. They're like, oh, but we can't give it to Jimmy because Jimmy, you know, he'll destroy it. He'll throw yeah. it under the drill rig. He'll <laughs> run over it. Yeah. He just hates technology. And so the iPhone revolution has really opened up technology to a lot of people who used to be afraid of it. And so they're now familiar with the, the platforms that we run on, you know, smartphones, tablets, that sort of thing. Everybody's got a device. Exactly. Yes. Yeah, at, at least two or three. Yes, there's that. Yeah. <laughs> Yes, they often buzz during our class times. Right, <laughs> yeah. that they do. Yes. Um, I'd say the third reason is because data forensics and our partners have really continued to innovate. And so mm. we're pushing the limits of technology and we're listening to what our clients, what their complaints about our software or their complaints about other software that from our competitors. We're listening and we're enhancing and, and trying, to, uh, trying to accommodate what their needs are to really make their data management process seamless from start to finish. So Good. Input your data once, use it many different ways. Excellent. And you've got really good partners in what, the UK and Australia, right? Yes. Yeah, we have resellers in both the UK and Australia uh, that essentially they sell our stuff in uh, their countries and we sell their software here in, the, in North America. Excellent. Excellent. So just curious, where, where do you see all this going? I mean, the technology is going so fast, right? And, it, and I'm sure you, you feel pressure to have your software keep up. <laughs> where, where's it all going? Yeah, I was on a call with Microsoft uh, just yesterday, and, and they were talking about, well, yeah, you're going to you're gonna have to do this to keep up with this new technology. And it's like, wow, 
I mean, we just built this four years ago and we've got to rebuild a lot of it because it's changing that fast. So um, technology is definitely going in our industry, going more cloud-based. I think it is everywhere, but cloud is, we really pioneered cloud in our industry. When we first started with the cloud aspect, everybody was very suspicious and it just makes everybody's life so much easier and you can do so many more things and it's much more reliable that um, it hasn't turned out to be an issue, but that's going to continue to to grow. Probably the second thing is that some of our competitors have some very antiquated software that has not been updated. I mean, literally, it's 30 years old. And so people are abandoning that because it doesn't streamline that entire workflow process from start to finish. You have that very disconnected, report-centric approach. Um, So people are looking for an integrated process for their workflow throughout the throughout the data life cycle. Hence, you win a lot these days. Yes. Yeah, okay, good. Yes. Basically, data interchange. That's a big thing. We're actually hosting a meeting here next week at our office. There's a global data interchange standard called DIGS, the data interchange for geotechnical and geoenvironmental specialists. You have just a couple of acronyms in your business, don't you? Just a few thousand, yes. Yeah, okay. (laughs) My developers are always confused because we throw another acronym at them. It's like, oh, it means the same thing as something else does. But kind of apropos to call it DIGS, right? It does. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, yeah. So so we're hosting that meeting and DIGS is data interchange in general is really taking off because it does facilitate that input once, use it many different ways in many different platforms, even if it's competitors' platforms. Because we can't do everything that people are going to want, but there's other tools out there that can. And if you can exchange the data and push it to their software, that's really the goal. All right. Well, great. Well, thanks for sharing all this with us. Just curious, personally, I mean, so you've got development and you've got sales. Yes. And you do both still or just concentrate on one or the other personally? All of the above. Yeah. So you're still a you know entrepreneur, do it all, even though you've got a staff. Yes, there are aspects of the the geotechnical space that it's it's easier for me to do some of the coding for it. Yes. Than try and explain it to my developers who have no clue about what it is, and I wrote some of the code ten years ago. Yes. So modifying or updating that, it's easier for me to do. But that's a very small portion of what I do because the developers are way better at it than I am. But my general Daily responsibilities more revolve around client interaction and sales, customer support, making sure people are happy with, that's with the, how the system That's the good reported. stuff, Scott. That's the good stuff. It is, but the algorithms are pretty cool, too. Oh. Coming from that engineering geek, you know. Once a geek, always a geek. <laughs> that's great. Well, we appreciate you joining us today, and uh, thank you for, uh, uh, for helping us understand what you do. Now, now, for those listeners that we have that would like to get a hold of you, what's the best way to get a hold of you, Scott? Certainly, you can follow us on Twitter. If you're listening to the radio show, you can follow at Data Forensics 1. And the number 1. Number 1, Okay, yes. so Data Forensics. That's one. Uh, at Data Forensics, at Data Forensics one. 1. Okay. You can email sales at dataforensics.net. Or if you would like a face-to-face call online or in person, depending on where you are, you can call our phone number 678-406-0106. Okay, so that's 678-406-0106. 06 Scott Deaton operators are standing by or sales at dataforensics.net sales at, at dataforensics.net excellent you excellent it. that's great so this is a Simon says let's talk business I'm your host Al Simon with Sandler training by Simon Inc with our, our guest Scott Deaton with data forensics Andy Morgan with the Morgan Law Group and now we turn our attention to Nancy Miguel cartridge world of Lawrenceville how are you doing Nancy doing great 
How are you today, Al? Real good, thanks. I've known you for how long now? Quite a few years. So we we both probably started our business, what year, what, 13 years in the business? It'll be 13 years in December, yes. Okay. And you're active at the Gwinnett Chamber of Commerce as I am. That's probably where we met, we met I would yes, imagine. Yes, I believe that is where we met. Okay. How'd you get into this business? Well, honestly, reading an article in the Wall Street Journal about replacements of ink and toner, and I went, hmm, that's really interesting. I could save people money. I could help the environment by keeping things out of the landfill, and I could also provide ink and toner, which there weren't very many businesses out there that did both. They either did just ink refills or they did toner remanufacturing. So this particular company, Cartridge World, which is a franchise that actually started in the U.S. last. They started in Australia and overseas and came to the U.S. last, which I thought was interesting I, I did also. I know that. Yes, so um, got in fairly early. I was the 156th store to start in the U.S. Wow. Um, first store um, in Gwinnett County and almost the first store in Georgia. Grown more than any other stores in the area. Woo-hoo. And I think it is because we can do so much more for businesses. We have a retail location in Lawrenceville for individuals that want to come to us. But our main focus is working with um, the businesses in the community. And I also like being a business owner because it gives me some time to get involved in the community. So being part of the chamber and some other civic things that I get involved in is one reason why. And it's been successful that way, too. Excellent. So what were you doing before you made that decision to buy the Cartridge World franchise? Well, I actually had a couple ladies-only health clubs at one point. Yes. So um, that was not a good fit gentlemen for my personality. Allowed, huh? No. Um, we actually had um, gentlemen trainers, and we had a whole aerobics department and everything. But um, it just was not—I uh, needed to be more on the business side and be out in the community and getting to know— um, the business owners and yeah. just all the different businesses and people in Gwinnett. So, so you're a people person. Definitely You've a people, been a people person. person a long time, huh? Yes. Well, I've seen you network at the Gwinnett Chamber and you're, you are well loved. And obviously you've done that well because you are interested in other people, right? And you mentioned that you like to help people, save them money and, and um, not only not harm the environment, but, in, but improve the environment. Yes. I mean, one thing we take pride in our customer service. We try to give a lot of advice and we have great customer service. Our employees all are instructed to have 100% satisfaction guarantee with every transaction, every customer, whether it's a delivery customer or it's a walk-in customer. We tout ourselves because you can order online. You aren't going to get a person if you have trouble. You can call our store. You're always going to get a live person. Very rarely do you even have to leave a message, but we return calls very promptly. We go out to businesses and we do troubleshooting out there or people can bring things to us. Um, We see all kinds of issues with printers. Uh, We educate people, especially people that travel a lot or don't print very much. If they're using inkjets, they need to have a two cartridge printer and not a printer that takes individual cartridges for each of the colors because the print heads go bad very quickly. Do they? Yes. That explains a lot. I've got a printer like that. (laughs) Well, printers want to be printed on, the inkjets do, on a weekly basis. Otherwise, Mm. the print heads are not primed. They have to have liquid in them and they will go bad and it's generally not worth the money to replace the print head. You know, it's throwaways printers can be right now. But we also sell printers. Um, We have gotten really big into selling printers. We have a checklist that we ask you lots of different questions on what your duty cycle is, you know, what functions you need, 
I know wireless has gotten very popular. Obviously, networking's been popular for a while, but wireless has kind of taken over that. Yeah. Vaccine's going away. A lot of people are e-faxing, but there's a lot of different things you can do between the color laser printers and the inkjet printers. So what you're describing is a very high level of customer service, obviously. Yes. And we, is, that, is that how you differentiate yourself? That is extremely beneficial because we have issues and calls all the time. Last night I was at a networking meeting with Gwinnett Chamber and they said, oh, I need to come get cartridges from you. And she said, I haven't used my printer in a long time, so I'm sure they're not, you know, available and going to work. And I went, well, what type of printer do you have? She had the individual cartridges. I said, bring your printer in. Let us just look at it. We don't charge for that, but I'm not going to probably have you buy cartridges. We can put some testers in, but I bet your print heads are bad. We had that scenario. H did an update with software this week. We had a bunch of calls because what mm. they did is they did a security fix. They also did a fix on their site to fix the fix because your Wait printer cartridges quit working. I'm lost now. There's a fix, but they had to fix the fix. Yes. Okay. So they did a security fix, but then what it did is it zapped a lot of cartridges and ah. it was a specific machine. So we were getting all these calls and luckily between having a franchise that's global, we had the fix and we just really sent them back to HP site. They look up their own printer they re-download the firmware, and they're up and running again. See, that's something we can do for our customers that you can't get from online companies or even big box stores. We carry probably one of the largest varieties of inventory. So if you have a really old printer, we can usually still help you with that. And we can also help you with the really new printers. And people are constantly upgrading and technology with the speed of things and the functions. So we're constantly upgrading our you know printers that we have for sale also. Okay. So let me ask you a question that has an acronym in it. Because, you know, we got to make Scott happy. Right? Okay. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> so ICP, you know, in my world, stands for Ideal Customer Profile. What is your ideal customer profile? Well, we can really work with any customer, but our ideal customer profile is probably going to be somebody in the medical field, law field, bookkeeping. Um, could be, you know, warehouse business, their offices. But anybody that prints a lot, um, we have a new program right now that we actually will do a replacement printer. Basically, it's a printer exchange program. So if you have a printer that you're not happy with the functions of it, or maybe it's an energy hog, or it's paper jamming or high maintenance, we can go in, we will replace the printer. It doesn't cost you anything. We maintenance the printer. All we ask is that you buy the cartridges from us. And we set you up. It needs to be somebody that really probably prints about 2,000 pages a month to have this program really work. If you're a low-end printer, it's really not something that's going to be beneficial to you. But for the high-end people and businesses that are printing, you don't need the big machines that you necessarily have. You may have a lot of functions you don't even take use of. We don't have any hidden costs. We deliver free of charge. We can ship anywhere. Wait a minute. You just said you deliver free of charge. Mm -hmm. Wow. So we deliver, we can set up the printers. Okay. Um, we also deliver just product. That's what we do for most of our businesses, the ink and toner product. And we can help with emergency situations. Usually if they have an emergency, we can get to them same day, at least next day. Um, we try to educate customers to have a backup cartridge because you might be printing at 10 o'clock at night when we're not open. So um, you want to make sure you have an alternative um, to print with. So you have limits as to when you will deliver. Yes, <laughs> you, we do have limits, yes. You do have a life, right? <laughs> Sometimes. <laughs> so 2,000 pages per month is about the the uh, threshold for this program? Yes, this for the printer replace? exchange opportunity, okay. yes. But you're, you have clients that print a lot less than that too, right? Oh, yes, any yeah. anybody. It can be somebody that buys a cartridge once a year, once every two years. 
we've had that example recently uh, with Scott. So, um, you know, yeah. anybody that prints, we want to help them. We want to be their go-to person if they have questions or they just need supplies for anything to do with printers and cartridges. Excellent. Excellent. Once again, this is Simon Says, Let's Talk Business. I'm your host, Al Simon, with Sandler Training by Simon Inc. And today's guests, we have Scott Deaton with Data Forensics, Andy Morgan with the Morgan Law Group, and we're talking now with Nancy McGill of Cartridge World of Lawrenceville. Nancy, a while ago, you said that you're very much concerned, involved with, love to do community kinds of work. Tell us what you're doing. Well, one of my big things that I do is I work with United Way on their cabinet. I'm a cabinet member. And United mm. Way, is their theme is improving child well-being in Gwinnett um, by specifically focusing. There's three different indicators. Right now, we're focusing on the percent of students exceeding third grade reading level because there is a big issue. And we're trying to get the standards of early learning up to speed so that by the time they're in third grade, they're at least at the reading level they need to be at. We're also helping children in poverty and also families that aren't financially stable, whether they don't have sufficient food, they're homeless. Um, we're looking for businesses to you know, help with their time or to do donations so that we can make sure that the United Way Child Wellbeing Impact Fund is there and is helping the children in the Gwinnett County community. So that's one way and one way I love to help with the children. I'm also a member of the Lawrenceville Rotary Club, and we do a lot of different things throughout the community. We have a road that we do road cleanup that we are in charge of, which we're getting ready to do that with Irma coming through. We noticed the road was uh, quite a mess after There's that. There's a lot of that around. <laughs> yes, so yes. We're getting ready to do that in a couple of weeks, but we also help um, GGC with several things. One of the things we do is we help the students move in, kind of help them, especially as freshmen, most of them, you know, get acclimated and show them around a little bit. Um, and GGC is Georgia Gwinnett? Yes, Georgia Gwinnett College. College. Okay. So we actually meet um, right by there. So they've been a good partner. We help with the Lawrenceville Food Co-op, um, providing food and donations. Yeah. We actually help, um, we adopt several families at Christmas time and provide, you know, their gifts for them. We get wish lists and and make sure that those kids are taken care of. I'm also very active with the chamber, but I'm an ambassador for the Gwinnett Chamber. So I like to help businesses make success in Gwinnett and how I can help them through the Gwinnett Chamber to do that. There's sponsorships, there's networking, there's all different ways that, you know, for me, it's always interesting to get to know people in different businesses. You know, I learn about different businesses. I said, oh yeah, somebody has to make that or somebody has to you know, do all those samples and test the soil and make sure they can dig and get the roads done and all those other things out there. Do the digs. Uh, do the digs. Do the digs. Um, I'm also on the Women's Advisory Council for, um, I'll say GMC, but Gwinnett Medical okay. <laughs> Center. Thank you. And basically, um, we raised money for things. One thing we did last year is for the NEDO Natal Intensive Care Unit, we got an ambulance because we actually did not have one specifically for that unit. And we transport kids as far as sometimes from Florida, all over Georgia, sometimes the Carolinas. So these are kids wow. that need to get to a hospital that has the type of care. So we have a great new ambulance to transport those kids. We're going to have a health expo in January that I'll be helping with. And it's wellness health, and it'll have all different types of information, and you can get screenings. We did this a few years ago, so you can even wow. get different screenings done there. So is that all you're doing? I mean, not really much in the community, really. Yeah. No, yeah. you know. Here some, and there. Some church things, some <laughs> other things. So, yeah. <laughs> That's but, amazing. No, I, I enjoy um, 
being out helping people and I enjoy meeting people and getting to really know a little bit about the person and, you know, about their businesses also. And, you know, it's nice to go out to eat and know one or two people. Was in Atlanta having a meal on Sunday and actually ran into somebody that I knew through the Gwinnett Chamber I hadn't seen in years because they had moved to Atlanta and that's have a different great. business now. It's that's makes that's it tremendous. Fun, so. and we, the, our community needs people like you. Thank you for all that you do. Well, enjoy so, it. I, I want to um, ask you, those of us who uh, do have printers, Yes. Uh, you've, met, you've mentioned a couple things uh, already, printer tips uh, that we should pay attention to. Uh, what, what other printer tips do you have for us? Well, as I've mentioned, the main key thing is if you have an inkjet printer to make sure that you are um, printing on it once a week, just something small because we don't want you to use too much of your ink doing that, but to make sure the print heads are primed. The other thing is if you do have any trouble, we had an example where we had we do a lot in education. We had a couple different schools. One of them had a label that got on their drum and they kept printing with it. And then we had another school that had the same scenario, but they called us. Well, they called us. We could go out and take care of that. The other printer actually was destroyed. It was about a $5,000 printer oh my because it, it ruined the fuser and it ruined some of the mechanics. Be careful with paper jams. We see a lot of paper jams. People just automatically want to pull them out the front. Yeah, you get frustrated. You, you get need to open up there, yeah. and pull it out the yeah. back because that's the way the gears go. Otherwise, you can damage the gears, and those can be pretty costly, too, with the way printers go now. So just um, always— I usually, I usually say, Sherry, come here and help me. Yes. <laughs> if you have multi-cartridge printer, you want to mm. install your cartridges one at a time when you're installing them. That's what the manufacturers tell you because sometimes a chip can get zapped if you try to put four cartridges in at the same time because the printer can get confused. Sometimes you can just turn your printer off and back on and it'll reset. But we do answer a lot of calls on just different, you know, scenarios for printers. So, and just make sure you're not using too low of a duty cycle printer because if you're printing on something that doesn't have a high duty cycle and you're printing, you know, a thousand pages in, you know, an hour or so, then you may burn your machine up. So you just, you kind of have to call us and ask questions or if you're getting bad prints on envelopes or things, there's settings you can change. So, if you're printing on envelopes, you want to go to an envelope setting, or if you're printing on heavy paper or photographs, you need to change the settings in your printer to get the best quality of print. Okay. And duty cycle is what? It's how many pages you're printing in a time period. So every printer has a life duty cycle. So it might be 300,000 pages, or it could be, you know, a thousands and thousands of pages. So Okay. And of course, your company was selected as a as a uh, Pinnacle Award winner last yes, year, 2016. Yes, we were very proud of that. We have a great team. Um, we mm -hmm. work together as a team, so all the employees are cross trained on most everything. Although technically, we have two people that know the technical side. That I always say, "Excuse me, let me ask my technician that question." Yes, but we do work together, and we try to make sure every customer is 100 satisfied. And you're having fun. And having fun at the same time. Yeah, here's so many good things about y'all. So. Uh, if for our listeners that would like to contact you. They can go to cartridgeworldlawrenceville.com is our website. We actually have online ordering that you can do through our website, and we can custom do online ordering for businesses and set you up with just your specific printers, and you have a little icon you can go to to make it real simple so you can order it. 10 o'clock at night or 6 a.m. in the morning whenever you're working. Um, you can also um, go to our retail store, which is at 911 Duluth Highway in Lawrenceville in the Public Shopping Center. Or you can call us at 770-995-4465. Okay, so Nancy, let me make sure that everybody gets a chance to get that. So uh, the address of your, of your store is 911 
Duluth Highway. It's in the public shopping center in Lawrenceville, right? Yes. They can call you at 770-995-4465. Correct. Or they can go to cartridgeworldlawrenceville.com. Yes. All right. Excellent. Appreciate that. Thanks for being with us. Thank you very much. Fascinating. Great to have people that really care about the environment, care about the community. It's awesome stuff. So, yeah. So let's all do business with Cartridge World of Lawrenceville. Nancy McGill, thank you. Thank you. Again, this is Simon Says, Let's Talk Business. I'm your host, Al Simon, with Sandler Training by Simon Inc., uh, sometimes known as the guy who knows a little bit about sales and uh, sometimes gets other people to uh, do it well. (laughs) That's that. (laughs) You know, every once in a while, Scott, we can help people, you know, it's, yeah. Only if they want it. Every now and then. Every yes. now and then. Okay. It depends on how hard-headed they are, or you know, in my case, how slow a learner I am. I, you know, I've been wor- working with you for, I don't know, three, four, or five years now. So yeah. someday it might work. It, it, it yeah. might. Yes. He, uh, this is Scott Deaton talking, and he was. Uh, it, you know, Scott is a client of ours with his company, Data Forensics, and he's being a little bit downplaying it, but they've been doing great. Your growth, especially this last two years, has been incredible. So that's great. So. Scott Deaton with Data Forensics, Nancy McGill with Cartridge Rule of Lawrenceville, and now, last but certainly not least, Andy, Andy Morgan with the Morgan Law Group. Welcome. Thank you, Al. How are you? Terrific. Real good. Excited to talk to you. Uh, I, don't, I haven't really talked to you a lot one-on-one over the years, but uh, we've known about each other's presence in the marketplace, right? And you're, I think I met you also through the Gwinnett Chamber, didn't I? That is true. We met on and off at the Gwinnett Chamber at different events. Yes. Um, yeah, it's been a little while. Now tell us a little bit about the Morgan Law Group. It's business law, right, mostly? Sure. Our focus yeah. primarily is on business law. Um, the idea, basically, for the practice is to be general counsel to firms who don't have in-house counsel. Mm-hmm. So uh, the idea is to get to know their, their, their business um, so that when they call us, we have an understanding in terms of what their needs are. Almost like having an attorney down the hall, except we're outside counsel. Okay. So in the inner circle needs to be, if anybody owns a business, runs a business, needs in their inner circle, and they need to have you there too. Ideally, I, I would say mm-hmm. anyone who, who is interested in, in, you know, from launching their business to operating their business to winding up their business, it makes sense to have a, a professionals who understand or outside professionals, such as uh, accountants and attorneys who understand their business well, so they can step in and help them to the extent things come up. They also help them as an advisor on the outside to say, okay, this is what you're planning on doing. This is the best way to approach it, at least from the standpoint of their area of expertise. Yes. And so that's why I recommend it's always good to have good outside counsel, almost like a board of advisors or a board of directors, just right. to provide advice. You know, I made a mistake when I incorporated 16 years ago. I came into the business with a partner, and we were told we needed to have a buy-sell agreement. But uh, nobody stayed on our case like I'm sure you would have. I didn't know you back then. I signed the agreement, but my partner never did. And it was real evident from the beginning that this was not going to work, that he was not my right partner. And so it got a little messy. We eventually got it all figured out three or four years later, but it was, it could have been a lot easier if we had taken your advice. Yeah, usually when only one person signs an agreement, you don't really have an agreement. It's that not an agreement, yeah, yeah, that was a problem. <laughs> but we did use a mediator to eventually figure it all out. Do you do mediation as well? Um, I would represent a client through a mediation process, but I do not yeah. serve as a mediator. I agree that the alternate dispute resolution procedures are usually better than actually going straight to court. And uh, my preference is always to try to work something out amicably. Um, I do not like to go to court. I think it's a huge waste of time and money. And that's usually what I tell my clients and tell folks on the other side. So my preference is to sit down, let's talk it out. Let's see where we can reach agreement. I mean, usually no one really ever gets everything they want, but it's better than the risks of going to court and maybe not getting anything at all. 
Okay. So, so you, you've mentioned that word a couple of times, the word risk. So I, I take it you work a lot on risk assessment and risk avoidance with your clients? That, that is all part of what I do. Um, and w- usually when I meet a client, the idea is to understand the business and say, okay, where are your potential uh, uh, points of exposure? Um, anywhere from contractual liabilities to just way of doing business. You know, um, do you have the appropriate safety protocols? Things like that. Just to say, okay, where are your liability exposures? Where do they exist? And how do you uh, either get rid of them or remediate them or try to shift them to someone else, uh, whether it's through insurance or through agreement and contracts? Um, but it always, it's always important for, for anyone who's in business to sit down every so often and look at their exposure. You know, we have new exposures now just coming out of, um, you know, uh, data breaches and things like that. Things mm-hmm. that people didn't really think about before that just now just escalated. And so in any business, say, okay, well, what is my exposure to something like that? You know, hospitals never thought about having, you know, people hold their data for ransom and they can't do anything with their patients because now we have to go pay someone in bitcoins in order to get control of your assets. So it's, it's always important just to do an assessment as, as the markets change, the industry changes and, and the environment changes. So periodically do an assessment? Periodically. It's always good because things change. You know, as you yeah. say, technology changes and uh, that brings along definitely advantages, but also certain risks. So when you do an assessment like that, a risk assessment, you sit down with the client and you ask certain questions or how do you, how do you do this? Ideally, it's all about getting to know the client. Um, in the financial industry, you have the same concept, getting to know your client so you yeah. know exactly what kind of service to provide to them. Uh, same for a legal professional, especially if, if, my, if my anticipation is to be outside counsel where basically I'm providing the legal service and advice to them based on their specific needs, I need to know their business. And so it's all part of the intake process and the ongoing relationship as they do things. The idea is talk to me about it. Let's just discuss, you know, is there anything we need to worry about here from a legal perspective, whether it's a regulatory point or just basic contract? You know, did you, did you, did you actually address the things you need to address in the agreement with the person you're dealing with to make sure that you're not exposed? Yes. And so that's, that's all part of the process. I think I can speak for a lot of business owners uh, from my personal experience. I look at legalese and I kind of go, oh, okay, I'm hoping this is okay. I don't want to read the whole thing. I don't want to give it to my lawyer. <sighs> what and would it, you say to someone like me? And, you know, it, it usually doesn't have to be that bad. I yeah. mean, you can, you can draft a contract in plain English. A lot of that legalese is not necessarily required. Um, but obviously it keeps us employed. So we'll throw it in every software. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you went to law school for a reason, right? Exactly. <laughs> okay. Well, might as well put it to work. Yeah. You and I were talking, Andy, a while ago about, uh, 1099 employees. And you mentioned this thing that you call the 1099 trap. Tell us what that is. Sure. Quite often, uh, business owners start out with hiring people as independent contractors. And sometimes the person can actually be an independent contractor. Said there are certain tests you have to look at in order to make sure they would qualify for that status. Usually if you set the hours, if you control what they do, when they do it, and if you provide the, provide the equipment and utilities that, and, and, uh, that they need in order to do the service, then technically you're probably not an independent contractor. And if you treat them as such, you, you run certain liability exposures for taxes and 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 other things that can come back to haunt you at the end of the day. So I really look at it as a trap because in, in essence, employers initially think that they're, they're, they're cutting down on their risk, they're, they're, they're cutting down on the expense, they're cutting down on time of having to do payroll and things like that. Right. But at the end of the day, those, those things, you're basically setting yourself up to potential exposure down the road because you didn't do things right from the start. Yes, and of course, small business owners today are so focused on avoiding the, the hassles with healthcare for employees, right? So 1099 seems to be 
an attractive option, but you're saying be careful. Be careful. That is definitely the case because it, you're not really avoiding anything. If you, if you actually fall into legal requirement just by categorizing someone in this particular status, it doesn't necessarily avoid the risk of, of what you're actually required to do. Mm. Uh, and the, the, other, the other case of exposure is, as we've talked about before, is, is workers' comp. If someone is actually an employee, then they're entitled to, to file a workers' comp claim. And then if they go to workers' comp and they find out, well, you weren't, uh, you weren't reflecting this employee in your, on your books, you didn't actually file the insurance, um, what happened? And so as a result, you can end up being audited. And if you have more than one of those employees, it can become a major, major liability for you. Liability meaning what? Having to pay fines? Or? Having to pay fines and, and, and also um, just direct exposure. If, if, if you don't have the proper workers', policy, workers comp insurance in place, then in essence, the, the, you as the employer could then end up having to pay even more than you would normally have to pay out. Have to pay a claim even though there wasn't. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. You will still yeah. be exposed to having to pay that claim. All right. Good to so. know there. Yeah. So as a training company uh, like we are in, in my business, uh, in, our intellectual property is a big issue for us. And I know that's one of the things you do too, right? Is help, you help people to protect their intellectual property. Tell us about that. That's true. Intellectual property is, is an asset that many people don't really pay much attention to when they're starting up their business. And it, it actually cuts two ways because you want to make sure that when you start out, you're not actually infringing on anyone else's intellectual property. We also want to make sure you protect your own once you start out. You want to make sure that you do the search research to make sure that no one else is using it. And then you might want to do certain filings. If you're dealing with uh, trademarks uh, and you, you, this is a brand you want to develop, you want to make sure no one else uses it anywhere else in the, in, in the country. And also in the world, depending on how, how far you expect to ex- expand your brand, it makes sense to do necessary filings to put the world on notice that this is your brand and you're, you're staking your claim to it for this, for this particular industry. Same thing for technology. If you have a particular technology to, that you're going to be using, it, it's unique to you. There are different ways to do it. You can either keep it as a, uh, uh, you can either file a, a patent, which is not something I do, but basically it's important for people to know about it to protect that particular technology that you're going to go out and exploit. Or you can keep it as a trade secret. And trade secret meaning basically you keep it in-house. No one else knows how exactly it works. They just know that it does work and, and, and you keep it uh-huh. private. Good thing about trade secrets is it lasts forever as long as you keep it private. Thing mm-hmm. about, uh, trade, uh, thing about uh, patents, which is what you file for, it has a limited lifespan. And after that, others get access to it. So you know, you know about Coca-Cola and the fact they have theirs in the vault. It's the reason why they've had it for so long is they kept it as a trade secret. Right. And so those are some of the things you think about. Also, copyrights, um, usually, you know, that deals with writings and things that you create, but it's another form of intellectual property. And so these are things that, that can generate quite a bit of revenue, uh, depending on how well it's branded, how well it's, it's marketed, uh, it can be licensed, and, and just having this property, intellectual property that spins off capital all the time is, is a great thing if you protect it properly. And that's what you do for your clients? One of the main things you do? One of the things I do is, is identify someone's issues. If I can't do it, then I'll let them know who or where they need to go in order to get you know, to protect the asset. So a true business advisor. Yes. Very good. That's the idea. So what is your, your ideal client? What does that look like? Um, my ideal client is um, a, a medium-sized business who uh, basically does not need to have an attorney on staff all the time, but does have ongoing transactional slash legal issues. When I say transactional, basically they, they would have to do some sort of uh, agreement or arrangement with another party, whether it's a joint venture or something else of that sort. And to make sure they're properly protected and documented the arrangement. And so those are the kind of things that I do yeah. for, to provide necessary support. Uh, and so when I talk about we're business transactional, it's basically dealing with those issues that come up 
when you deal with money and paper or, or some other activity. Or ownership, like mergers or taking on a partner. Exactly, okay. exactly. If you're acquiring a business, you're acquiring an asset, if you're taking on partners, it's important that you structure those arrangements uh, right from the start. Uh, so yeah, I found you, out the, the hard the hard way that it was important. Yes. Yeah, it, it does. It does create problems, and and so mm. that, that's that's part of it too. You know, when you when you set up your business, you could be best of friends, and you're you're going to you don't need any paperwork. But at the end of the day, that's how marriages start out as well. And, yeah. And sometimes it, it it works perfectly. Yes. Uh, but but the on the off occasion it doesn't. Uh, it's important to make sure that you've thought ahead of time. You know what happens if I just can't. If I just don't like you anymore, <laughs> you know, how do we unwind this this situation we've gotten ourselves into? And that's that's basically what it's about. That's great. That's great. How did you not? You got your own law firm. How would you come about uh, having your own firm? I originally started out as an engineer, just like did you? you guys. Yeah, I was an electrical yeah. engineer for uh, a year or two, and then you went to the dark side, and, and then I. I I, I saw the light. I said, "You know what? This stuff, oh. is, this stuff is too hard. <laughs> it's something easier. <laughs> you have to uh, do acronyms and stuff." Yeah. <laughs> so, so I went off to law school, uh, and then I worked for a firm for a number of years. Did you? Yeah, and then I uh, worked in their uh, mergers and acquisitions department. So I did a lot of M and A work for large profile transactions. Uh, then I worked for in house for a Russian oil company. Oh wow! As their general counsel for about three years, and that company was sold, and then I went off on my own. And so it, it's been an interesting, interesting cycle for me. How long have, have you had your own firm? I've had my own firm since 2003, but I've been here in, uh, in Georgia since 08. So I've sort of uh, re-established uh, myself here and, and it's, I, I'm, I'm loving it. Uh, Gwinnett County is a great place to be. A plug for Gwinnett. And um, <laughs> Gwinnett Chamber is also a great place to be as well. It's, it's helped me to grow my business. And, and so Nancy, it's great that you're, you're an ambassador over there. It's, it's a great organization. Yeah, that's that's how it's been for me since 2008. Excellent. So, yeah, Andy Morgan with the Morgan Law Group. So if, if folks want to talk to you, Andy, how, what's the best way to do it? Um, they can contact me directly. My number is 678-597-8755. They can also go to our website. It's uh, the, T-H-E, morganlawgroup.com. Or you can also email me at amorgan at themorganlawgroup.com. All right, so let me make sure we say that again. So the phone number is 678-597-8755. Correct. And uh, website is themorganlawgroup.com. And your email is amorgan at themorganlawgroup.com. Yes. Excellent. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for joining us. It's a pleasure. So that's probably as diverse a show as you can have, right? Three very, very different businesses, three wonderful people. Guest today, Scott Deaton with Data Forensics. Nancy McGill with Cartridge World of Lawrenceville and Andy Morgan, the Morgan Law Group. Wrapping up, Simon Says, Let's Talk Business. I'm your host, Al Simon. And until next time, good selling.